Sermons from FBC Athens. Welcome to the weekly podcast of the sermons from Sunday worship at First Baptist Church of Athens, Georgia. The title for the sermon from Sunday, January the 28th is Jesus and the Powers and is given by Matt Marston, Senior Minister. The scripture text is Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd. Numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might go with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown for you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, about how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. What do you do with the parts of the Bible you don't like? Ignore them, right? Pretend they're not there. Thomas Jefferson was a little more crafty. He actually got his scissors out and cut out the parts of the Bible, the New Testament, the Gospels that he didn't like. And it was actually published, the Jefferson Bible. And it got all that supernatural stuff out of there. There were no miracles, no exorcisms, so no demons, no possessions. There was no resurrection. There was no prayer. He titled it, the kind of subtitle, 
was the moral principles of Jesus. We might be tempted. In fact, in our time, people are, and probably since Jefferson, have been tempted to say, this supernatural spooky stuff, let's get that out of there. Let's focus on Jesus's moral principles. The trouble is, there's a lot of this other stuff in there. And it's early, and it's well attested. John Meyer, who's a great uh, Catholic uh, Bible scholar, New Testament scholar, said that if you discount all the miracle and exorcism stories, we might as well say we know nothing about Jesus because they are so intertwined. But it makes us a little nervous. Why might you be nervous? Why was Emily and Addison, so, why were they so scared of this story? It is spooky. It worries us a little bit because sometimes talk of demons can be silly or even kind of superstitious. We can't, have you ever heard, I have heard recently, someone blame sound system difficulties on the devil. And maybe, I'm not saying it's impossible, but, you know, incompetence is also probably an easier <laughs> explanation. It wasn't here, it was, at, it was somewhere else. It also can feel a little superstitious. We can get overly interested in uh, the dark powers, demons, and the like. It can sound like something out of a fantasy novel, out of Harry Potter. We also are worried, I think, about exorcisms and things like that because we're concerned that it might keep us from responsibility. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Therefore, I didn't do it. Therefore, I'm off the hook. And that worries us because we at a deep level think that, and I think we have to think, that we are in some sense responsible for our actions. It also can feel a little unsophisticated. We know a lot more now. This is from pre-enlightenment times, before the rise of science. Now we know about mental illness. Now we don't need explanations of demons and devils and things that go bump in the night. You hear people all the time say, you know, I, who are nervous about the supernatural, say, I really believe in science. I believe in science. And that keeps me from understanding all or believing in all these other things. But of course, science has huge gaps in its knowledge. What is dark matter? Also, I know scientists who wear, you know, the same shirt for every game. <laughs> it can be a little dangerous too. Several years ago, two years ago, 2022, I believe, a three-year-old girl was killed in San Jose, California in the middle, by her mother and grandfather during an exorcism. They were uh, praying for the child, laying on top of her, and she choked to death. She was suffocated. That's not completely unheard of. And that makes us nervous. I think we all understand the metaphor of something has possessed my child. 
right? If you've got that, that seems to happen. It can happen to your spouse. Not your spouse, other people's spouses. Uh, what do we do with this kind of text? Can we do without it? Can we simply explain it away? I submit that we cannot. We cannot. It is rhetorically necessary. If you take the dark side out of the New Testament, you're not left with much. It's called different things. Like Paul didn't use the language of demonic. He used the language of sin and death as capital letters, powers of darkness. That's what he used. Um, He talks in Ephesians 5 about the powers and principalities, right? The spiritual forces, the things that are hidden from us but affect us. And then Jesus, it's all over his ministry. It's one of the main things he was known for. It doesn't mean that Jesus made it the only thing he was about, but it was uh, something he was about. And it's true that we, all of us, can be gripped by forces outside of ourselves, right? How about just a mood? How about just a mood? I was reading this week about the economic mood of our country and how important this mood is for the upcoming presidential election, We were supposed to, many people thought, have a recession by now, but we kept buying. Way to go. (laughs) Instagram ads have been working on me. But what this person, what this writer was saying was, if we're in a bad mood, that's always bad for the incumbent president. Hey, where is this mood? Where, Where is it located? Can you get to it and change it? Can you stop any mood that just comes to you? You ever been overtaken by a bad mood? Ever have someone around you in a bad mood and it starts to affect you? This morning? (laughs) I resisted it because I thought about the suffering runners and said, they have it worse than me. There are powers, whatever you want to call them, The Bible talks about the demonic. It doesn't go into detail to explain it. I don't think we have to completely understand it in order to be mindful of it, just like you don't have to understand how your car works in order to drive it. But we can be aware of it. There are forces around us that can get inside us that affect us. We are not free agents We think we are. We think we just make clear, rational choices. But look at your look, I look at my life. Rational choices. All of my choices have been rational. All of them I was thinking through clearly. Or sometimes am I is it a rational choice for me to lose my temper? And to say that stinging remark that I know at some level is going to leave a mark. And yet I say it. Is that my, just my choice? 
Now, it's my responsibility, but is there something out there that can do us harm? Even the language of mental illness, which is certainly an advance, there's still a lot of mystery around that. What is a mental health diagnosis? Why do some people struggle and others don't? Why do those of us who don't have an identifiable mental illness necessarily, wouldn't be diagnosed by the DSM-5, why are we still a little crazy? You know, some of the best advice I ever got uh, from a therapist said, everybody gets to be crazy, just not at the same time. But everyone, we all can be blown about. We can be affected deeply. And even, I've read about this uh, this week. There's a book, fairly new book by Michael Easter called The Scarcity Brain. And it talks about our habits of buying and how contentment just seems so far away. And this is not a great title for this phenomenon, but this is what they call it, prevalence-induced concept change. I, I don't know what that means either, but this is what they say. Human beings, when we have fewer problems, we don't become more content. Guess what happens? The smaller things start to become bigger problems. So we're going to have problems. We're going to see our lives as filled with problems, even if you, so you think if I won the lottery, I wouldn't have any problems. You would, it would just be that things that don't seem problematic. Like when was the last time you got in a really bad mood because you couldn't access Wi-Fi for five minutes? Is that a biological human need to have access to Wi-Fi? No, it's not because we lived without it once upon a time. There was a time, I remember this, and I'm not that old, uh, I can remember wanting to know the score of a game and thinking to myself, I'll read it in the newspaper tomorrow. I could go 14 hours with a question that wasn't answered. As our problems change and as we have more solutions, the little things become more problematic. Why can't we just be content? Why does it seem like we are prevented from truly being happy on our own? The man in the story, this, Jesus is in Gentile country. We know that because there are pigs and he's on, the other, he's on the other side of the lake. In Galilee, Jews and Gentiles lived all mixed together. This man is isolated. He is suffering from this deep tendency towards self-destruction. He is hurting himself. Now, we might say, glad I'm not like that. But aren't we a little bit? Don't we have within us that seed of self-hatred and self-destruction? Where does it come from? It can come to anybody, even if we have perfect parents or as close to perfect as we can have. Even in the best of childhoods in a prosperous land, we will still, I think, find within us this 
deep self-loathing so that we can't be happy looking in the mirror. We can't be happy sitting in a comfortable chair. This man's community is destroyed. He is a picture of living death. He is living by the tombs, and he is cut off from life. Think about this story, and I think about a man in Moultrie named J.L. Elizabeth and I lived before the kids were born. We had just moved to Moultrie, and we lived in our most urban environment, downtown Moultrie. We were right there on the square. Moultrie's a very small town, so that's a joke. Jim Saunders is here. You know what I'm talking about. And by uh, our apartment was right by this breezeway. And there was a man who slept every night in that breezeway, a very tall man named J.L., who pushed a shopping cart all day, every day around Moultrie, and he would come to nest there. And very often we would hear voices, more than one, coming from downstairs. And once I went to check on him, there was nobody there but him. We heard voices. And I asked around about JL and why uh, he didn't have a place to stay. And people said, well, he was born in terrible circumstances and was kind of on his own as a small child. And they used to find him sneaking under people's houses to sleep with his back up against the chimney. He had had awful things. Deprivation happened to him, and he was affected by it in this particular way. He was cut off from life, and people said, we don't know how to help him. We don't know what to do. And that's true for more of us than we might imagine. There are things in us that just don't, we can't snap out of it. If you've ever yourself or known anyone struggling with addiction to anything, food, a process, a substance, can you just snap out of it? If someone says, hey, don't do that, it's bad for you. Hey, don't eat sugar, it's bad for you. Is that just easy? Do we just snap out of it? Uh, the big book of AA talks about alcohol as cunning, baffling, and powerful. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. This man was up against something that was bigger than him. And he goes to Jesus, and there is a recognition of something in him that didn't belong. And then there is this compassionate calling out of the man, of the spirits from the man. And then there is a price to be paid. The chaos in us that can afflict us needs to go somewhere to be destroyed. In this case, it was the pigs. And the man is set free. He is sitting there in his right mind. It looks like the dark side has lost. Except what's everyone's reaction to him? Are they excited? Are they happy that he's been set free? Are they rejoicing that he's in his right mind? 
No, they're not. Because uh, the line between good and evil is not so clear. One of the dangers of demon language is that we, you can kind of make it up about anybody else. And what, what can you, how do you prove it? It's not true. What's so beautiful and important in this story is we see it's not just the demoniac who is afflicted by powers of darkness. It's the people too. They were so blinded that they could not rejoice and be happy that this child of God was loved and set free. Now, what do we do with this? I think it's important to recognize that last part, which is that we don't assume that the powers of sin, death, darkness only afflict those people, somebody else. It means when you are watching uh, news about the campaign in 2024, as Christians, we can have different opinions, I think, on certain things. But what we must realize is that that temptation to demonize others is always with us. We should be mindful, prayerful, so we can resist. To remember that the powers and principalities do afflict and can inflict harm can help us also have compassion. We can have compassion for others when we realize, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, our true enemies are not flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities. It's exactly what evil wants us to do, is to be convinced that the people across from us are wicked and completely different from us. That's, we fall into that trap time and time again, and a trap it is. There needs to be, in so many ways, a community that comes around us in our struggles with darkness. It's one of the beauties of treatment centers and 12-step groups, that that chaos within us is able to be held by others. It means that somehow we continue to learn how to be honest because honesty is the opposite of possession. The man was set free when he got an honest look at his situation. And the most important thing is that we don't have to be afraid because the heart of God revealed in Jesus Christ knows what we are up against and can set us free so that we too can be clothed and in our right mind. We too can have the scales of hatred, the scales of scapegoating and you know, the delight we have in hating other people. That can fall away and we can be brought into a new state where we are clothed in our right minds and rejoicing. Thank you for listening to the sermons from FBC Athens. Join us for worship in person or our live stream 
Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. God's grace and peace be with you today, tomorrow, and always.